recording software. It's not important. It's not worth explaining, so I'm not even going to explain it. But, uh, yeah, we are doing some new recording software. Not important. Dale Comstock, everybody knows who he is. He's the American badass. Buy his fucking book. If you don't buy it, you're a terrorist. And that's, enfor <laughs> that's enforceable by law. And, unfortunately for you, Dale is the law. So buy Dale's book or you are a terrorist. That is a threat. I normally say that's not a threat. This is a threat. Buy the book. And, um, but we're jumping back in and, uh, we'll, well, the last time Dale and I haven't done a, we haven't done an American badass episode and we were both surprised four weeks. But, uh, the last one is a story that almost made me puke and to my dismay, uh, I believe that's another story we're doing today. So apparently Dale just wants to see me vomit like a <laughs> model. So fuck it. Dale Comstock. Take it away, sir. Dr. Dale Comstock, yeah. excuse me. All right, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Everybody out there is listening. Um, so we've been doing these every, you know, almost every weekend except for the last few, um, going over some chapters of the book American Badass and, of course, touching on some other topics. Um, so if you, you know, if you feel so inclined, go back to the, the first one we did and you can kind of follow along um, about the chapters in the book. So what I'm going to do is actually tell you the story in my own words rather than reading the story to you. Um, all right, so, yeah, we've been busy. As uh, Tommy said, you know, I've had a lot of things going on and uh, been very busy on the weekends, but uh, finally kind of things slowed down today, and, and here we are. So what I want to talk about is one chapter called Donkey Turds and Warthogs. Um, so this, you know, the scene is in Afghanistan, and the mission was simply this. We know that one particular... Um, a small Ford operating base, small camp encampment with a special forces A team, about 12 Americans was in really, it was like Fort Apache, man. The location they were in was down near skin on the border of Pakistan, the mountains. And if you can just imagine a small little outpost with, you know, some sandbags, you know, for the perimeter and, you know, about a platoon of Afghans as their little, you know, their little uh, security army. That was it. And these guys were getting attacked on a regular basis. Um, like literally every day they get rocketed because they were just sitting there and they became target practice for the bad guys. So the mission was uh, to infiltrate or to insert at night by helicopter, offset away from the target, a distance away, dismount. And then I was going to take, I had 60 Afghans with me and I had another American with me. And the mission was to lead these guys and come in through a, a circuitous route, you know, and then finally end up what we call an ORP, objective line point, uh, and basically hunker down there. And then from there, run operations, um, you know, basically counteroffensives against the Taliban that were setting up uh you know, rocket positions and things like that, right? They were, they were constantly attacking this camp. So what we figured was they, they wouldn't expect us to show up, right? Especially in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, they never got any resistance outside the camp. And so all of a sudden, you know, they're going to get shot in the ass while they're launching rockets. That was, was the goal. So my guys, my Afghans were, they were more of a uh, urban uh, an urban uh, force, right? They were used to doing CQB, kicking in doors in Kabul, you know, you know, raiding compounds and stuff like that. They weren't field soldiers. In other words, they they weren't trained, nor did they really have they ever really spent any time out in the field doing, uh, you know, operations in the mountains and the desert. So this was their first. And um, so I assume 
badly that these guys knew what they were going to do, what they were doing. Right. So we show, we fly out in the field, uh, two helicopters or three helicopters came over was now, uh, in my seventies, we land, um, you know, on the border of Pakistan, very mountainous, beautiful country, man. Oh my God, it's just awesome. And we land and we're a couple of terrain features away from the special forces camp, right? We don't want the enemy to know that we, that we inserted that night. All they would know is we heard MI-17 helicopters flying, maybe landing, and then he kept on flying, right? Maybe. So we land, we get off, and we start walking. And I'm leading, I'm leading the point, and um, it was pretty rough movement because of the terrain, the way it was set up. And uh, we walked as, you know, as far as we could, and before it got light, we decided to go ahead and um, actually, probably about four hours before it got light, I realized the movement was getting a little difficult, you know, especially under no light conditions. And the guys were getting a little tired. So I just said, okay, we're going to hunker down this one location and um, get some rest. So we do that. And in the morning, you know, the sun comes up and I decide, okay, we need to get up and start moving out again, right? So as I'm getting up, clearing out the, you know, the sand man out of my eyes, I'm looking around, I'm noticing that there's guys taking their water and they're bathing themselves out in the field with it. They're washing with it. And I'm like, what in the hell? Right. Because only water we have is what we brought with us. Right. There's no water out there. This is like desert mountain stuff. Right. And, uh, and I will, whoa, 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 whoa. I call the commander over and go, Hey man, what are your guys doing? You know, they're wasting water. They're going to need that. We're not getting a resupply. We're going to be out here for three days. So what's on their back is what they're drinking. And they've only been out here a few hours. It's not no time for a shower. In fact, there's never any time for a shower in the field. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it doesn't, you don't need it, right? It's not like you're going to impress anybody. So, um, so I, I had to light his ass up, right? And get him to get out there and troop the lines and get, his, get their shit together, you know? And he didn't grasp it. I said, listen, you got 10 minutes. I want everybody packed up, rucked up, and ready to move. In 10 minutes, we're going. That's the direction towards the mountains, right? We're going to go down, and then we're going to go up. And um, so he's out there, you know, getting everybody rounded up and stuff. I'm getting ready to go. And I look, and I noticed all these guys were wearing heavy polypropylene underwear under their fatigues. Like, it's not cold out there, by the way. And, you know, they were, like, maybe cold that night. And I'm like, hey, man, I said, you know what? We're going to walk 50 yards, and you guys are going to be sweating your balls off, man, with that polypropylene. It's thick polypropylene, too. Mm -hmm. I said, you don't need it. As soon as you start walking, you're going to start overheating. And uh, that just didn't register, right? And I'm like, okay, I guess we're just going to have to do this. You're going to have to learn your lessons, right? So we go down the hill, and I swear to God, man, it wasn't. Halfway down the hill, everybody's just sweating their balls off, right? Oh, you know, when I was probably, I said, just keep walking. We ain't stopping. Yeah. You know, I warned you, right? And so we start walking. We get down to the low ground, and we're moving along this uh, dry riverbed. And I come across an area that's a, a puddle of water, you know, maybe 15 feet wide by, you know, maybe 20 feet long, you know, maybe a couple of inches you know, deep. That's it. Nasty, dirty water, right? And... And all around it was, you know, donkey turds and sheep turds, right? Because they knew where the water was too. And they all came there from the desert to get a drink. And they're crapping and pooping in the water and drinking all, all around it, right? My stomach's and, already uh, starting to turn. God damn it, Dale. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I'm like, you know, I'm not stopping. We're just going to walk past it. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm on the point. I'm leading the way. And, uh, and I walked a little while. I realized it's getting kind of quiet behind me. And I, I turn around and look. And they had all stopped at this water, this puddle, 
And these guys were literally on their hands and knees like dogs drinking the water. And I'm yelling, stop, 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 right? I couldn't believe they're doing this. And I looked at the commander again and go, what are you guys doing? Look, this is, this is horse shit. This is sheep shit. It's in the water. You guys are drinking it. I said, what do you, th- how do you think that's going to work out? You know, and, and, you know, you could just tell them, like, what do you mean? So what's, what's wrong with that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow. And again, I said, all right, I guess we have to learn your lesson. So now the guys are stripping off the polypropylene. All right. They finally figured out, okay, it is kind of hot. And, uh, I said, we'll see how this works out here shortly. Now that you guys drank all this water, they're filling up their canteens because why? It was empty because they were using it for a shower. And uh, there was no going back. There's no getting out of this, right? Nobody's coming to get us. It's broad daylight. We're in Indian country. And we've got to make it up this one mountain. And there's a um, like a saddle between two hilltops. Basically, uh, uh, we're going to occupy that. And it was going to give us kind of a good view of, of the of the target area, the area of operations. And the band was really picturesque. That's all I can say. Um, it was really beautiful up there. And uh, what was really cool is we were coming across like old, um, old stone type shooting positions that I don't know if the Russians put them there or the Mujahideen or if there's something really ancient. But we were coming across some really cool stuff out there. And uh, so I'm like, okay, all right, we're going to walk. And uh, good luck with all that water you just drank. Let's see how that works out. And we go up the mountain, and all of a sudden, we weren't into this thing 30 minutes, right? And it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good climb up the side of this mountain. And I got guys throwing up back there, freaking, you know, heaving and shitting. You know, they're <laughs> we, I finally make it up to the saddle, you know, and I got five dudes that are down now. They're freaking casualties um, from this water. I mean, they're... Their diarrhea, their projective vomiting, they're just, they're out, man. And I'm like, okay, now I got five dudes I can't do anything with. I can't get them out of here. If I got to get, if I got to carry five guys, that means I'm going to commit, oh, 20 guys just mm-hmm. to carry five guys out. And by the way, that won't even be enough because those, those 20 guys will last about, you know, 20 minutes and I'm going to have to switch yeah, them out yeah. again, right? Is So, you know, we are combat ineffective. Um, and by the way, we're out of water because they showered with it and they're pissing the shit and the rest of it out. I said, we're not even going to make it to the to objective now. You know, we got no water and uh, they don't have any water. And so me and my counterpart, the other American, were like, okay, we're digging through our med bags. You know, we're looking for Lamotol, anything to kind of help, you know, calm their stomachs down and get, you know, get them back to operational as best as we can. And it took us a while. We finally did. I just had them, I said, everybody just kind of lay out rest, relax, you know, don't waste your water. These guys take the meds. I said, let's just kind of give them some time to kind of pull their shit together. And, uh, and, it, and finally they did. And, uh, we, we moved on and we got to, uh, we got to our objective. And, um, then from there on, you know, we started, uh, you know, I started running our operations. So something else that happened on this particular, um, this particular target was, we, we got out of the field after three days. We, we, we ran some ops, and then uh, it was really nothing really came out of, out of it. So we left, and we decided we would come back again in the middle of the night, fly on a helicopter, land on another hilltop. And uh, on the hilltop, we could see a special forces camp about a kilometer away from us. And uh, so we landed the helicopter. We got out in mass. We walked over to this, this, uh, this compound that was just broken apart, right? Not... The walls were crumbling down. There was really nothing there. But we used the, wall, the walls for concealment. So I got the whole unit in there. There's about, again, about 60 guys. Um, I had them set up their machine guns, mortar tubes. And then uh, we had about 
two or three hours before sun, uh, sun up came. I told everybody, I said, okay, I want everybody to, you know, to rest except for the guys pulling security. So I went to sleep too. Sun came up. And actually what happened was one of the interpreters came and woke me up and uh, he's like, Mr. Dale, Mr. Dale. And I'm like, yeah, what do you want? He goes, hey, um, he goes, uh, one of the men would like to go down the hill because we're on a hilltop and there's like this runoff water, again, dirty, nasty shit right on the side of the road. And we'd like to go down and, and, and bathe, wash up. I go, for what? And he, he's getting all red in the face, you know. And I don't know if I told this story already, you, but you, uh, you've told this to me privately. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, so what happened was, all right. <laughs> so, so I'm looking at this guy. I go, wait a minute. I said, we just got here three hours ago, four hours ago, and this guy wants. What is this? What do you mean? He wants to go wash, right? And uh, <laughs> and then he kind of, I could see he's getting a little nervous, right? He goes, well, he says, actually, it's about five guys. Um, and I, what do you mean five guys? He goes, and then he goes, he proceeds to explain. He goes, well, the Quran says, if, you know, if you have a wet dream, right, a nocturnal emission, um, you're supposed to cleanse and bathe your entire body. And I go, that guy basically had a wet dream and now he wants to go wash up because the Quran says he has to do that. He goes, well, and I go, what's the deal with these other guys? He goes, well, they also had wet dreams and they want to go wash the body. I go, what guys are you talking about? There's five guys all together in one corner. There's all those five guys. I said, wait a minute. You should tell me those five guys all woke up this morning. And one guy goes, oh, oh shit, I had a wet dream. I need to go bathe. And then the other four guys go, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Me too. I said, you know, that's bullshit, right? <laughs> and, and, and he's looking at me. He's kind of like getting all red. I go, you tell the little butt pirates over there. You know, this is a combat operation. Okay. This is not, this is not an orgy, man. We're not out of here for sex. And, uh, and I said, I don't even want to know the goddamn the details of this shit. I said, I'm just disgusted right now that this is even happening. Butt and, uh, and so, and I'm like, okay, I get it. Now I got to do this because if I don't, you guys are going to get mad at me because I'm disrespecting Allah and the Quran and you know, all this crap, you know? And I said, yeah, I'm going to send you down the hill in broad daylight. You might compromise all of us and get us killed because you guys were wondering what? Have a little fucking fun last night? And uh, so I, he's just like getting really uncomfortable. And I'm like getting really goddamn mad, right? And, uh, and for, so I said, all right. For, for, every, for every politically correct person on here who's screaming, thinking Dale and I are making a step, stab at them because they're gay it has nothing to fucking do with that it's it's the fact that you're downrange on a i imagine this is you weren't with delta this was the plausible deniability you yeah had, yeah it has so for everyone that's pulling their hair out right now has nothing if it was a bunch of women fucking scissoring each other or some shit <laughs> dale would be i don't know dale might be saying include me next time but yeah. the reality is, is no, it's, it's just like you don't give a shit if someone showers. I shower. I shower every day. Dale doesn't give me shit because I'm not downrange with Dale. It's different. Yeah. So for everyone that, because I think I remember you telling me that story privately the first time, probably about a year ago. I remember you telling me, you're like, dude, I, I don't give a shit. You're like, I don't give a shit if they're gay. We're downrange. You're going to get us all yeah. killed. So sorry. Keep going. Yeah. No, that's, you know, you're, you're, you're right on that point. Yeah, I'm not gay or you know, homophobic. Or yeah, I have, no, I have, no, chill, yeah. I have a ch child that's gay. All right, yeah, no so, one gives a shit. Yeah. Um, I don't even care about all that shit. Yeah, all I care about was these guys are over here now. You know, 
poking each other in the butt, you know, and now, now I've got to send them downhill with another patrol to pull security while they're down there, you know, playing in the splashing of the water. And uh, none of that had to happen, right? So now they potentially are going to compromise our position and the operation. Um, two, I've got to dedicate another, you know, another force to go down there and secure these guys. And, uh, you know, it's not in alignment with the plan, all right, mm-hmm. of war fighting, so to speak. So, they go down there and they do their business. They come back and I tell the interpreter, I said, listen, you make it really clear to everybody out here, all right? Um, anybody pulls that stunt again, all right, I'm going to take all your money. You're going to lose your paycheck, all right? You're not going to get paid this month. I'm taking it. I'm going to fine you, all right? Because you're jeopardizing the operation, you're jeopardizing the mission, you're jeopardizing lives is what you're doing. And uh, we, I mean, if you, you guys have already learned your lesson before about wearing polypropylene and freaking drinking, tur- you know, donkey turds, you know, um, I think I know what I'm talking about. And um, so, you know, we had to go through all that and then um, got that sorted out. And then, uh, so the, we were getting intel that that base was going to come under attack probably at night. And so normally what happens is they get hit usually from three sides, two rocket, uh, what we call poo sites, right? Point of origin for rockets, two rocket launch sites. Um, and then you have, may have a ground assault coming up from another hill. And then you usually have an observer on, on the other corner, you know, basically calling all the shots. And so we were kind of expecting that. And we had actually two Hummers that we managed to procure from the ODA. And <clears throat> one of the Hummers, uh, mine, the IRS didn't work, just the white lights. And I shit, you know, so I'm trying to drive, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive the vehicle, one of the vehicles at night with all my guys in the back. And what we were going to do is move to what we anticipated to be the launch points where the bad guys were going to show up to launch rockets. What we want to do is already be waiting for them when they show up and get and take them out. So it starts getting dark. Uh, we load everybody up. I'm trying to drive my Humvee. I got the, the lead Humvee. I can't drive it with just the nods on because it's got thick polycarbonate glass, bulletproof glass in the front with the NVGs. It just made it harder to see, especially without the IR lights and no illumination above us. And so I also had a, I do the navigation and my GPS wasn't picking up a signal from inside the Hummer, right? And so I basically had to drive with the GPS in my other hand outside the window so I can keep a signal so I can follow the right route because there's a lot of trails and roads out there and, and uh, it got very confusing. So I'm following my GPS, driving one hand, following GPS, trying to see where the hell I'm going. And then uh, we ended up going up this one side, this one mountain for a little ways. And it got really tight and narrow to the point where we're, looks like we're coming into a choke point or a dead end. We're not going to be able to keep creeping up this freaking hill. And that's when the, when the ambush started, um, unbeknownst to us. Freaking, uh, at this point, rockets had already been coming in to the camp. Uh, we knew there was another ground element coming up on another side doing a ground assault. And uh, we knew there was a spotter actually very near us on top of a hilltop. And so right when we hit this one point, all of a sudden an RPG comes skipping across my hood and blows up. So shit, now we're, now we're in contact and, uh, and we're stuck. I can't move forward. I can't move backwards. I can't move sideways. We're just stuck. Two vehicles. And, uh, I remember grabbing, you know, turning the vehicle off, and my my co-driver was a medic, um, actually a PA, American, really good, really good guy. And he bails out on his side, and it's an armored door. And as he gets out, what happened was um, somehow I, I didn't put it in the park 
it was still in neutral or drive. When I killed the, the lights, um, I let off the brake. The vehicle lurched back a couple of inches and actually pinned his ankle between a boulder and the bottom of his armored Jeez. doors. So I messed him up pretty good, right? I didn't know that. Um, you know, I managed to get on the brakes, control it again, you know, lock it down, grab an M79 grenade launcher. And I could hear the guy behind me yelling at the, the Africans in the back of the vehicle, shoot, goddammit, shoot, right? Because <laughs> they were like sitting like deer in the headlights, but where are those coming from? And finally, they all opened up, right, and shooting in all directions. I get out, and I have a pretty good idea where I think the round came from. And I think it came from the spotter up on top of the hill about maybe, I don't know, 200 yards up. And uh, so I got out with the M79 grenade launcher, can't see shit, and uh, put a 40 millimeter HE round in it and just kind of said, yeah, he's right about there, I think. And uh, just using sensing techniques, no sight or anything like that, I kind of raised the weapon up, poof, sent it up, boosh, down it comes, and freaking dead hit, right? Freaking, <laughs> it was all over. <laughs> and everybody's like, holy shit, you know? And it reminded me of the movie Up. Uh, uh, apocalypse now there's a scene in the one of the river and uh there's a a, a, a a unit on the side of the river bank and you know the, there's a Viet Cong guy on the other side yelling at him right you know and then there's a guy named Roach and they tell Roach Roach has the M79 hey Roach man, you take that guy out and Roach is all high right he's all just doped up and gooned out he's like yeah and he gets his gun his M79 loaded he turns around and he does the same thing he just kind of uh-huh. aims it up kind of gauges it poof, then takes the guy out, right? <laughs> um, so it was, it, was, it was like another, it's the same, you know, same scenario. It was just like that, the, the fight was over. Well, anyways, the firefight all total lasted about seven hours. And about, uh, oh, I'd say about an hour into it, we had already called for close air support, right? And we had some A-10s inbound. And we were very close to the Pakistani border. Yeah. We were probably about a kilometer away. And uh, we know that, you know, this assault came from that side as well, right? We know that, you know, their inclusion. So we got the A-10 circling above, and we tell the we tell them, listen, this is what we need. We need rounds right here. Uh, suppress this, this area. We got guys, bad guys here, bad guys there. And uh, and the pod's flying around. He goes, uh, well, he goes, we can't engage if we're less than a half a kilometer near the border. And I'm like, well, we're not there yet, right? We're about a, half, about a kilometer away. Who gives a fuck, right? We're Americans. And, uh, and then... He's identifying bad guys, but he can't identify the weapons. And he's, he says he's got to positively identify the weapons. I go, dude, you're at 10,000 feet, all right? I know they have weapons because they're shooting at us, all right? I'm telling you where they are, and I'm pulling the trigger. You're just a weapon, and you let him go, all right? He needs all these special, you know, uh, approvals and shit like this. So he's flying around for like three hours before he ever dropped the first damn bomb. Jeez. And he's starting to run out of gas. So this is uh, like actually, so it's like the DMV. This is some bureaucratic really? Yeah, it Jeez. was actually he ran out of gas. It was actually two of them and they left the station and they were flying back to I think a Bogham Airfield to refuel. And we're wondering why has nothing happened. And then we realized they 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 checked out and didn't even tell us they're leaving. They just left. You know? And finally they came back and when they started actually dropping bombs is when the whole thing stopped. So seven hours, a total of seven hours, it was all over. And uh, we worked our way back to uh, the, the, the uh, Special Forces FOB, went in, and uh, that's when I realized Doc had fucked his ankle up really bad, you know, and then I realized, oh, yeah, it's because we backed up, he got a pin in the rock. And uh, so that was the index for the night. But um, pretty frustrating because 
it took three hours for them to even consider dropping a bomb. They need all these approvals, you know, and I'm like, you know, are we, are we back in like Vietnam now or something? What's going on here? You know, yeah, um, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm the guy on the ground calling the shots, but you know, you're afraid to drop the bomb, you know, and, uh, just, I'll take the responsibility for it. You're just a, you're just a weapon. I'm the guy pulling the trigger. I'm sighting it in, you know, I, I take full responsibility, but it took seven hours, man, for us, for this, uh, the madness to end that night. But, um, um, pretty in, in, interesting experience to say the least. Uh, there's a lot, of course, a lot of other things that happened in, in the middle of all that. But uh, um, you can't gonna, make some. I was going to say today's this right. Today's seventy seventh anniversary of D Day, and yeah, I was just thinking like, can you imagine as like the first waves of soldiers are getting there, and they're just begging for the battleships to fire on like the pillboxes? Do yeah. we have positive ID? Do we know that the Germans have weapons? You'd be like, blow it to fucking pieces. And it's like, we yeah. got we got to run this up the chain of command. It's just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, moving on. So the next one I'm going to cover is called The Final Ambush, My Epiphany, right? So um, this is later on in the book. But basically what happened here was this. Um, so I was on a, the northernmost fob that we had up in Afghanistan on the Pakistani border. And it was a, it was very scenic. It was like Lord of the Rings time, picturesque mountains, beautiful place, man. Poppy fields everywhere, green rivers, water, just beautiful place, man. And uh, we were up to this cold and we were at 9,000 feet. And uh, so what our guys, when they went on vacation, um, because they were working for Americans, they were being targeted, right? So we allowed them to go home with their AK-47 as a personal protection weapon. And uh, But we knew we couldn't release them from their base because they'd get dunced right outside the gate anywhere because where we were at located, very isolated. So what we have to do is uh, put together a convoy, and we'd have to drive south about uh, six hours um, and take them to another base that was safer and then deposit them there, they go on vacation for a couple of weeks, and then uh, a couple of weeks we come back and pick them up, and we bring them back home. So uh, one leave, one group was on vacation, the other one was moving down, and then the group was coming off vacation would swap out, and they get in the vehicles and come back with us, right? So it was an exchange like that all the time. Well, this one particular night, um, we were going to drive three hours, and the group, the, the uh, other group south of us at the other camp, was going to drive north three hours. And we're going to meet somewhere in the middle and do the exchange. We're going to take the guys out that are going to leave from their trucks and their guys coming off leave. We're getting our trucks. And then we would go back to our, our camps. And so we're lined up getting ready to pull out and uh, starting to leave the gate. And then we get a call from the group down south that said, look, well, we're delayed. You know, uh, we got some bad combo issues, right? Couldn't get the communications to work properly. And they didn't want to leave until that was sorted out. I said, roger that. So we leave thinking they'll get it fixed here shortly. And actually they did. It took them a long time to sort it out, a couple hours. So we arrived at the halfway point and we're now having to wait for them to work their way up to us. Well, that halfway point uh, put us on a stretch of dirt road that was about seven kilometers long. And if you can imagine on the, we were north, we were traveling south. So to, um, you know, to our, west was a mountain ridge line and then to our east right next to us we're paralleling a river with more mountains on either side so you can either go north or south but you can't go left or right it's just one way one road and it's a dirt really bumpy dirt road uh, very slow movement 
And this particular seven kilometer stretch was owned by a Taliban. And it was literally the road was just lined with burnt out hulks of vehicles, gas trucks, tankers, logistics trucks, tactical vehicles, just all up and down this road where they would get ambushed all the time. And uh, Edward's now sitting in it waiting for this other this other vehicle while so we we stopped all the trucks we had 23 um we sent seven vehicles forward uh i I forget probably another two or three kilometers forward to go meet this other crew down there so we didn't have to move the entire convoy down there because it would have been a mess trying to turn around because of the terrain so they went forward and we were sitting there and our interpreters were on the icon radio icon radios which is the same radio as taliban use they're just handheld like uh, walkie-talkies, and uh, we're listening to the Taliban setting up on us. They saw us. They were putting ambushes behind us, in front of us. They were putting IEDs in, and uh, they were already discussing their battle plan. And we're listening to all this. Going shit, you know. Now we're boxed in. The other elements down below us. They've actually recovered the other group and deposited the other guys. And on their way back, the ambush got initiated, and they got hit in the ambush coming back right off the bat. Well. Just before that happened, we realized, okay, we need some kind of close air support. We have no other support. And we managed to find an AH-6 attack helicopter on station. And uh, he did have ammunition. And he basically was supporting that element in contact. And then he you know, called bingo. He ran out of fuel uh, and all his ammo. And he had to fly south to the originating base to refuel, rearm, right? So... He flies south. The other element comes back. They're all shot to shit, right? They've got a couple of guys that have been shot. You know, trucks are all shot up. And uh, so we're providing, you know, first aid, and getting them straightened out. Then we turn all the vehicles around and, and face them north. We had the choice. We can go run south or run, run north. Either way, we're going to run an ambush. So we figured we'll just run north back home. Um, so we didn't want to make that move until the attack helicopter was back on station. What we're going to do is use the helicopter to fly out in front of us and strafe the entire road for us to start, you know, start a movement. And the reason he was going to strafe the road, because normally Taliban, they did long, far ambushes, right? So they would actually stand off from a distance and engage you. But this time they started changing their TTPs, right? Their tactics, techniques, and procedures. What they did was, because we're listening to the commander order this, he's telling his guys to get right up next to the road and then get between the vehicles on the road and create a crossfire situation. And plus, by being so close to the road, the helicopter can't engage them. They knew the helicopter was coming back. It was crazy. He already expected that, right? Um, so they were getting smarter is what they were doing. They even went so far as to discuss which vehicles they wanted to take out, which was actually the last two in the convoy of 23. Take they want to take them out and recover the weapons, the ammunition, and everything that's in it, right? Do you ever suspect um, the moles? Oh, yeah, we had those. We had those, but not sure they were communicating with them. But uh, we just think actually that Taliban commander was actually pretty switched on. Um, he had enough experience to know that, okay, these forward ambushes are not as effective as getting right in the middle. And uh, this is what we got to do, right? So, so sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, Someone like yourself, do you ever see that? And like, do you at least like respect, like game, respect game? Like, uh, you know, maybe like, oh, yeah. like rivals, like it's like uh, like Larry Bird and like Magic Johnson, like rivals on the court, but they respected each. Do you ever look at that and you're like, I'm going to kill this motherfucker? But at the same time, do you, you know, you kind of, I see it, I respect it. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, actually I did. I was like, okay, these guys are evolving, man. Yeah. They're, you know, they're constantly evolving, which means we have to keep evolving, yeah. right? And it becomes like a chess game. Sure. Um, they figure it out, and then, the, you know, they break the code, and then we got to, you know, Just come up with another strategy. And that's basically what it was. Uh, but I was actually pretty impressed with, you know, his, uh, you know, his commanding there and what he was uh, telling his guys to do. And as well as his intuition, you know, he was, you know, he, he suspected the helicopter would come back, yeah. we would move, and then we would follow the helicopter. And he called it on the radio. I was like, damn. And so, um, so we had all the vehicles lined up. We had 23 vehicles. They were spaced roughly 50 meters apart. So think about that for a minute. 23 vehicles, 50 meters apart. That's about over, that's almost 1,300 meters, one, one kilometer, 300 meters spread, this element. On a seven-kilometer uh, road, where the maximum speed was maybe five miles an hour, maybe it was just that bumpy and rough. Yeah. And uh, so it was a slow drive through seven kilometer ambush is what it was going to be with IEDs placed in the apex of a couple of turns. We knew where those turns were and we knew that's most likely where the, the IEDs will be because we, they know we'll have to slow to negotiate that turn. And if you think about on the turn, a 90 degree turn, you might have one gut vehicle here and one 50 meters behind, and now you got two vehicles oh, essentially yeah. in the apex yeah. that could be hit, right, yeah. at the same time. So, but we had no choice. There's no way we're going to get around this. And so the plan was simply this. When the attack helicopter would come in, he would run the road and strafe it, and then the vehicles would take off one by one, like March of the Penguins, right? One would dive in, then the next one would dive in, the next one would dive in at a whopping five-mile-an-hour pace. And every gun on every truck would run. Basically, you, and with the structure, we shoot everything, anything that could hide a bad guy. Behind, there was a tree, there was a rock, and I heard some weird noise. By the way, I heard a lot of noise. Okay, now it's gone. gone. <laughs> Whatever you did, I, I, I literally just moved a little headphone case. That's, yeah, that's kind of weird. It just started. Uh, crazy. Yeah, I couldn't even hear, hear anything anymore. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, I, yeah, I thought you were giving me a weird look. I was like, "Why well, still?" That's fucking weird. The f- yeah, it was pretty loud too. Keep, yeah, sorry, um, keep going. But yeah, yeah. So, um, and then the plan was all the guns would run, and then we would basically, you know, try to push through this uh, this this ambush. So we're sitting there. I was in. Uh, I think my truck was number fifteen. I had one of the command trucks. I had all the antennas and shit on it, right? And. Uh, so as I'm sitting there waiting, I'm waiting for the little bird to come in. Not the little bird, but the uh, age to come in. And um, while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, man, I've got to be, this is nuts. I said, this is the first time I've ever had, I deliberately drove into an ambush just to get out of the ambush, right? And uh, and then it occurred to me that I'm really starting to, you know, push my luck, man. You know, yeah. I'm 47 years old now. And I said, you know, it's a matter of time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm going to get hurt, you know, if not killed. And so... I made a conscious decision at that point that if I survived this ambush, um, this would be my last one. I was ready to hang up the guns and go home and, and do something different. So um, as I sat there, Little Bird came in. A little Bird age uh, came in, started strafing the road. Then the first vehicle took off. All guns are blazing, right? It's here we go, man. It's like Fourth of July. Shit's flying everywhere, right? And uh, whopping five miles an hour. Then the second one takes off. And I'm sitting there watching this through my nods, my MVGs, because I'm kind of backing up on the higher ground. And uh, as I'm sitting there, I'm driving. I got a couple of interpreters in my vehicle, Afghans. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, you know, 
I'm trying to remember my kids one more time. I see all their faces one by one. I'm matching faces one by one. And what I'm trying to do is just remember real quick and get it out so I can just focus on what I need to focus on, right? And I figured this might be the last time I can ever think about my kids. And uh, and that's when I had that epiphany. I'm like, you know, if I get through this, it's over. I'm not doing the war, right? It's crazy. So now I got the thoughts of my kids come and gone, passed, and now I'm focusing on what I got to do. I told my interpreter, I go, man, anything runs up to this truck, anything. It's not American or an Afghan or one of our Afghans, shoot in the face, man. Get it over with, you know? Um, and so finally it's my turn to move. I put it in gear and uh, I take off at a whopping five miles an hour. And the road was so bad that I broke the front right strut on my truck. And basically the tire was rubbing the wheel well on the inside. And it got so hot it caught on fire right, at five miles an hour. So I got a wheel that's burning. Basically, it's advertising to the bad guys, shoot here, <laughs> shoot here, right? There's some, <laughs> there's some, light. There's some poetic symbolism in that well no you telling yourself no it's that you telling yourself you're like you know this is my last one i'm i'm playing russian roulette with this career i mean it truly <laughs> is like you're going to the wheels fall off <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the right? wheels are on fire exactly. you're like fuck it let's go <laughs> well we did we went off and uh we're rolling you know slowly man down the road everybody's shooting it's just a freaking it's just amazing man see every gun shooting at any every direction you know at anything that could hide a bad guy and uh, it was really that was real suppressing fire 23 vehicles doing that and along this long you know 1400 meter snake <clears throat> working his way around the side of these mountains and uh you know, I had, we had guys running out, literally coming out right off the side of the road, you know, at close range. We're freaking, you know, we're dunching them. And then uh, we finally make it out. And uh, we get to the other end. We stop. And I forget, I think we had seven vehicles were damaged. Um, we had some guys actually get shot in the Kevlar. Um, of all things, just shot in the Kevlar nowhere else. We had a couple other casualties from earlier on. But uh, we pretty much got through that unscathed i mean you know damaged vehicles but no big deal they were still functional and uh we took you know we ahead and took off and went back to uh the base that morning and uh, it was then when i arrived i realized okay that's it for me man you know um not right there but this will be my last deployment out of here and uh will be the last of uh this uh this kind of life if you will so that was my epiphany for you know and it was based on this final ambush and me having a moment to really kind of a moment of clarity where I can think about my kids, my life, where am I at? I'm 47. How long do I want to keep doing this? You know, and, uh, you know, I had some other business opportunities that were waiting for me if I chose to do that. And I decided it's not a bad idea to, to go ahead and move on. Yeah. Yesterday I did actually, yesterday I did another podcast for a guy. Um, and he asked me a question. He's a neurobiologist. And, uh, he asked me a question, um, about you know once you know you're done with stuff like that you know you know what's what's how do you define the rest of your life at, yeah. after that you know i mean you, you don't really have the same adrenaline rush anymore is that you know like what's it like you know and i go actually the truth is once you live this kind of a life for most people that did it deliberately and actually wanted to do this kind of work be a soldier and be a warrior and volunteer to do it you know, you look forward to it. There, it's almost like um, an addiction. When time, right? You keep getting these adrenaline dumps, right? And uh, these these dopamine and uh, you know these different hormone releases in your body it becomes addictive. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
and you can't never really get rid of it, right? Even today, I'm 58, and the last time I saw combat was uh, about five years ago. And uh, if I had the opportunity to do it again right now, I'd probably go do it. You know, it's like crack. Oh, I remember. You know? well, I, I remember when you and I were shooting at our uh, mutual friend's house. I remember you were sitting there and you were talking about. You were just kind of like citing something. And uh, you just looked so calm, whereas I'm just like a little like I'm like oh look, everything's exploding the the mod deuce the pit. and I just remember looked at you and it just almost like wasn't registering to you. it was like a roller coaster you'd been on so many times and you were talking about it and I remember you started telling a story about you guys were at this hangar or something and what you're doing with some guns and your face was lighting up and I remember I like looked at you and I go I go Dale how do you ever how do you ever put this shit down. Like, how do you ever walk <laughs> no. away from this? And I remember you looked at me and you go, I'd do it tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, that was like, that's, true. yeah, yeah. It's, it's really true because um, I spent, man, for nine and a half years, I was gone about nine months out of every year downrange. And uh, I was happily married, had a good marriage, had a good family, had a good life, doing really well. And uh, I know my daughter was young and... I got to a point where I would come home and I just wanted to go back. Yeah. Not because I wanted to get away from my wife and my sure. daughter. It's just all of a sudden it's like I got this, it's like this magnet yeah. trying to pull me back and I want to go back to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and I, it didn't make sense to me either. You know, it's like, why would, why would I want to leave my wife and my daughter, you know, to go back and risk it all, you know? I mean, but it's hard to explain. It's actually hard to explain to people that have never been there. That's why a lot of veterans just don't like to talk about, you know, their experience because it, the average person just can't grasp it. But um, once you've been there and you keep drinking from that well, you just keep coming back from that what to that well, you know, for another drink. And one day, you know, you're probably going to drink out of the well and the alligator is going to yeah. take your head off, you know. And uh, yeah, but you're ready for that, you know. Yeah. And uh, and you think that you're invincible. Like, ah, it happens to everybody else. It won't happen to me. You know, I was lucky. Uh, a lot of my friends, not so much, you know, and uh, but actually, I, I remember I just couldn't wait to get back. And, and uh, that was the kiss of death for my marriage. It caused a lot of problems. And uh, I look back at now and I say, yeah, I enjoyed what I do it, what I was doing. But uh, on a personal level, you know, financial level, man, I lost a lot, you know, because of that. And so one would think that, well, you know, did you learn your lesson. And it's not really a learned lesson learned because what I was doing was not wrong. It was right. And it was right for a lot of reasons. Um, it's just that, uh, the consequences of what I was doing, you know, um, you know, was huge. And so you would think that I would, you know, that's enough is enough. At least I thought it was enough was enough. And then, you know, 2015, I get another phone call, um, for, you know, to go and do some special mercenary work, like real mercenary work, not, you know, black water, nothing like that. And, um, and so I, it was very risky. Probably the most dangerous shit I've ever done in my life. I've done dangerous stuff, but this was like really crazy. Um, but this reason I got selected is because they knew that I could handle this kind of stuff too. And so um, there I go again, 2015, downrange, you know, probably the, one of the most dangerous countries in the world at the time. Probably still is, Yemen. And, um, and I went and did that and then came back, got my fix, you know, and... 
you think you get over it, but you don't get over it. You know, it's like, you know, I, my wife was really upset because she didn't know what I went and did. I'd lied to her. I said, yeah, I'm just going to go do some training, train some people. It's all good. It's safe. Nothing's going to happen. And then she found out about a year later what I really did. And because she saw the video on the internet, <laughs> I didn't put it on there. And, yeah. uh, and she's like, what in the hell? And then I told her, you know, and so she was pretty upset about that. Um, rightfully so, but, um, be honest with you. If I got the opportunity to do something like that again, I probably would. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's in the, it's in the DNA, man. So yeah. I can say it's in the DNA. Some, just some quick comments on it. Well, obviously I've, I've never been in combat and I'm not even going to pretend to know what it's like, but in terms of like the personal journey, um, so like last weekend was my best friend and he's been my friend since like nine eleven when we were like 10, it was his birthday, best friend's birthday. We, him, his brother, some other guys who went out and got this like, super nice lake house up in like the mountains. It's like $2 million lake house for like a weekend. It was awesome. Drinking, boozing, smoking, hot tub. We all had our own bedrooms with these huge steam showers. I mean, like, you know, just big dick energy, just like balling out. <laughs> and it was really fun. And it was like 72 hours. We're spending money. We're having fun. We're watching whatever. We're drinking at 10 in the morning. And it's great. And I loved it all. But man like you said it's not that you're trying to get away from your daughter or wife i love these guys and that was fun but man despite having like a nice cup of whiskey and a hot tub like doing whatever i want the back of my mind i was like i can't fucking wait to get back to my apartment i was like i've got dale on sunday i've got dr (laughs) hodgson on monday i've got george webb on tuesday thursday i'm having on the apollo astronaut again i'm gonna wake up early i'm gonna go to the gym sweat my balls off i'm gonna take a freezing cold shower i'm gonna meditate and you would think that the other is objectively more fun drinking champagne at sunrise fuck no it's not that that's not fun there is nothing i love more than just grinding on this and it's in no way the same as yours but i do get that sort of you're just pulled towards it this is never going to kill me but i do understand that it pulls you towards it and the the second comment on that is episode 216 when i had on mr charlie duke the 10th man to walk on the moon i mean that Mm -hmm. is the apex of the air force they all start out and everyone in the Air Force, the, the you know, the goal is always to become an experimental pilot where you try out shit that hasn't been cleared yet because that's the Ooh. bleeding edge. Well, the bleeding edge of the bleeding edge is you try to become an astronaut. It's the ultimate Air Force. You go above the sky. And right. then the absolute, you know, the OGA of the Air Force is you go to the fucking moon. So he's one of the guys that walked on the moon. He's one of four living men who have walked on the moon. And then I remember asking him. I was like, well, what do you do after you walk on the moon? Like, what else is there? And he told me, he was like, he was like, it it destroyed me. He was like, I started drinking. He was like, I was a bad father. And he kind of like, kind of refound his purpose in life. But yeah, for like 10 years, he was like, there was nothing. Like, what else do you do? What else can excite you when you've walked on the fucking moon? <laughs> That's right. It's you know he found he found faith and now he you know he's he's in his 90s now now he gives lectures all around the world and said he became a much better father but he said for a while and he said a lot of the guys suffered from that because you come back from the moon you go and shake the president's hand and then what like and then that's right you know what fucking i'm gonna go hunting i'm gonna go jump out of a plane i've walked on the moon right it's yeah and it's so I get that, and, and and I know you and I have talked about this book before. It's one of my favorites. 
surprise kill vanished by Annie Jacobson, which she's been on Joe Rogan. I'm sure everyone on this podcast has heard me talk about this author before. She's a great author. But her second most recent book, Surprise Kill Vanish, is about uh, uh, intelligence community paramilitary groups like OGA and all about it. And she details the chronicles of uh, a guy who he remembers Pearl Harbor. He fought in Korea. Billy Waugh, who was in uh, Mac V. Sog and went on to work in OGA. And he was in Iraq at like 72, right, right after 9-11. I, I know Billy Wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I remember you told me that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna do you dirty and sell you out. But yeah, I, know, I remember you told me that. But in the book, he talks about something similar when he came back from Vietnam, and he went and worked in the post office. And this is a guy that, like you, OGA, the most lethal, sh- you know, downrange. No one's calling, you know. Billy who? Dale who? There's no one coming to pick you up. You get rolled up, it's over. You might as well pop yourself. And she asked him, you know, he's in his 90s now, but when she asked him, she goes, what was the single scariest moment of your life? And she said, without missing a beat, he goes, working in the post office. (laughs) Because he goes, that was worse than death. There was nothing. He goes, what am I going to do? Rise through the ranks of the post office? And he goes, the best day of my life? was when I got a cryptic phone call one day in like the late seventies and it was, you know, this is this is with uh this is with the Central Intelligence Agency. Like we'd like to interview you for a job. And he comes here and this is a shadow company for this and you're we're gonna deploy you here. And you can read all about it. He had like he was undercover, undercover. He had this like double thing where he's like, we're gonna send you downrange into like Iraq or something. You're gonna be photographing like weapon sites. And he was just like that was like having life breathed into me again because he was like, fuck yeah, like, let's go. <laughs> There's something to be said for that, man. I mean, Charlie Duke, the moon guy, he started working for a defense contractor last year. He's 90. There's, and I know I've been rambling on, but I mean, the point I'm trying to get is it, we've seen again and again in history that like that's not an uncommon thing. Like you said, it's not for the conscripted soldier, my, my, Uncle Tim, rest in peace, died a couple of years ago. But he was drafted into Vietnam. That's not someone who that was for. He was against his will drafted. You know, he had terrible PTSD his whole life. Like you said, individuals who set out on that course, they want to go be the tip of the spear. They want to be the baddest motherfuckers that ever walked the planet. I mean, why would you ever want to come back? And I imagine it's like what Patton said. He was like, I want to die. I want to be killed by the last bullet of the last battle of the last war. Because he was like, I don't want to come home from this. Like, how could you? When Tom Brady re- retires, I, I give him 12 months before he shoots himself in the head. How, how can you step down from that? How the fuck yeah. do you step down from that? And I know, Dale, you've been patient because I've just been running my mouth for 10 minutes. That's right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I get it, but I don't get it, right? It's, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a fucking veteran. I'm not a warrior. But I do... I mean, dude, I think one of the worst days of my life was the day I got into medical school because I didn't know what to do anymore. I was like, there's no more dragons to slay. And I think the worst, the second worst day will be the day when this podcast overtakes Joe Rogan. I won't know what to do anymore. I'll be like, fuck this shit. I'll hand it over to you, Dale. I'll go find something new. I'll be like, fuck it. I'm going to learn how to play piano. Like, yeah, I don't know. I've been rambling for 10 minutes. Point being is like, I, I get it. It's, it's, yeah. it's heroin. Well, the, the thing is, you know, and it's not for everybody, but you, when you've reached the uh, the pinnacle of, 
you know, what you would consider success, you know, for me is what I did, mm -hmm. um, you know, moonwalking, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is in your life, you're right. It's, it's hard to come back from that. And that's why I think a lot of guys, um, a lot of veterans have a hard time coping in the civilian world, right? Because it's just so freaking, you know, low drag, man. You know, it's just, what? what? You know, I, I experienced it myself. It's like when coming from the military world and going into the corporate world, the, the pace is so different. The cultures are so different. Like, I always wondered how the hell does any corporation succeed at the with at the level of effort they put in, which is very low. Um, you have, you know, if you need something done, it you know, or it takes two to three weeks for them to act on it. Where in the military, if you were told, I need this, I need this report, it was done like right now, right? You got it done. You don't, you don't wait. I'll give it to you in two weeks, Sarge. No, it's like, I'll give it to you in two minutes. Stand by, you know? And when I got in the corporate world, I saw it. I was like, damn, it's just so slow. Um, and, it, and the reason it's slow, all right, not knocking civilians so much, but um, the reality is civilians, the cultures of civilian culture doesn't, they're not taught for the most part the same kind of um, work integrity, ethics, um, you know, the regimentation that you have in the military, you know, they don't have it. It's just, you know, it's just so much different. My, my roommate um, here in Florida, he... Um, he, I won't mention where his job is, but, uh, you know, he has a lot of young kids come out to work for him, for her, work with him on this one job site. And uh, he goes, man, the, the the work ethic's just not there. One guy, he was telling me a couple of days ago, just got this job, which was a very high paying job, young guy. And uh, it's like $200 a day. And you really don't have to do anything. It's on the beach. And he, his girlfriend was coming out and hanging all over him. They were kissing and carrying on and just hanging out with him all day. And the, and the boss came out and go, hey, your, your girlfriend can't be out here. You certainly, certainly shouldn't be out here smooching and kissing on the job, you know, and, and playing lovey-dovey. You got a job to do. And he goes, oh, my girlfriend can't come out here. Then I quit. And he walked off. Like, what? You know, just just like that, you know. And so um, there's a lot of that going on. I, I, I was working with a guy that, um, again, a younger guy that, you know, he was complaining you know, the work was too hard. He thought, well, can I come back tonight and just, you know, pick it up when it's cool? He's like, no, we all work during the day. You work with us. You can't come out here on your own at night and work because it's cooler. You're going to suffer out here in the heat like the rest of us because this is the duty day. This is where the supervisors are at, you know? So it's, it's a softer generation, but, um, you know, but when you've done something like, you know, like the things I've done in life, you know, you get such a high from it. It is like a drug, man. And I actually say, I used to say that all the time about Delta. Um, every day I went to Delta, you know, went to work as a Delta Force operator. It was the best experience of my life because I couldn't wait to go to work. Yeah. And I couldn't wait for the day's training. We're going to do all kinds of cool stuff. We're going to work out. We're going to shoot guns. We're going to propel down buildings. We're going to jump out of airplanes. We're going to just do all kinds of cool commando stuff. And then I would come home at night and go, damn, that was a great day. It was a satisfying day. I can't wait to can't go back tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many people can say that about their job? How many people actually look forward to going to work? Like, I can't wait, you know? And I, 
I, I wake up every day and I'm like, what fucking guest am I going to try to get? I got yeah. a new camera in the mail. I got the lens today. I'm bumping up the video quality. You know, I'm always bumping up the audio quality. I'm better internet. I'm trying to get a new guest. And can I edit this year? Can I place this there? If I get this guy, do I think through that guy, I could maybe get this. And it's the stair-step game. And if I get bigger, I could get more money. And yeah, sure, maybe you go to a million-dollar mansion and drink on the weekend. But motherfucker, I wake up and I'm like, I can't. <laughs> if, if I get more money, I can get a better computer. And if I get a better computer, I could get higher resolution videos and that could allow me to get more get and then it's over and at the end of the day I, I call my mom because I'm a good son and that's what I do and I call my mom every night and I play little video games and I go to bed and I just think <laughs> I can't fucking wait for tomorrow I can't fucking wait yeah. for tomorrow I got Dale I got Dale oh shit Dale's running late I gotta push the next guest back a little bit we gotta finish this yeah it's there is no greater, there's no great that's place. when you that's when you know your job is no longer a job it's, when you enjoy what you're doing it's not a job anymore it's a labor of love right yeah, yeah. and uh, for some people the labor of love is going down and risking your life you know yeah. um for you it's doing what you do um unfortunately most people don't get the experience that most people go to the grind every day and they're making somebody else rich you know they're getting their two weeks paid vacation every year you know they're getting their weekends off yeah. you know and you know it doesn't have to be that way i tell people all the time you you create your own reality and you create your own life and you get what you accept you get what you tolerate you know and if that's if this is all you're going to accept you're all going to tolerate that's and that's all you're going to get in life right but if you decide, no, I'm not accepting this, I'm going to tolerate this, I want more, I want bigger, I want better, I see the future, then you can create that for yourself, as I have. Um, it's not perfect, but I can tell you it's much better than most people's lives out there. I mean, come on, let's face it. I live in Bali, Indonesia, and yeah. Palmasota Beach, Florida, yeah. and Manila. Yeah. I, I got homes everywhere, you know, yeah. and, and uh, you know, I travel, I get to do cool stuff. I don't have a lot of money or nothing like that, but I don't need a lot of money, you yeah. know? I got just enough to get me... To have a good life, you know, and um, you know, more people should have that should have that experience. But it's what you it's what you accept, you know, for yourself um, that makes the difference. And most people are willing to accept, you know, just getting mediocrity. You know, they, they, a lot of people just look for security. You know, if I if I work for an employer, I'm guaranteed a paycheck every two weeks. Um, you know, I pretty much guaranteed a job every day. You know, unless the company goes under, but. Uh, you know, you don't have to do anything but show up and do your job and then go back home. Um, I actually don't like that. I mean, that's not freedom for me. Um, I want to be able to just work when I want to work, go home when I want to go home, do what I want to do. You know, that's the life. And uh, anyways, I'm kind of kind of going off on a no, tangent. No, but uh, no, no, no. And on, um, on that note, Dale Comstock offers performance coaching for anyone that does yes. want to pursue that life. Tier one yes, performance coaching. And it will be in the description and sticky in the top comment. And take it from Dale. Here's a guy that does it. You know this is what he does. And it's man, it's, <coughs> there is no there is no greater reward than there is no security in this. This whole fucking podcast could come crumbling down tomorrow. But man, if that's not part of the adrenaline, like I gotta, you know, I gotta be on my A game. I can't fuck up. I can't get canceled. Well, I'll never be canceled because I don't give a shit. But yeah, it's we're both rambling now, Dale. Yeah, let's let's wrap this one up. Three All right, p.m. Brother. We'll resume next week. And um, yeah, American Badass. Go buy the fucking book. It's fantastic. And Dale is, I believe, writing a couple more books about some of your more insane experiences, which I've been pestering you about for the last year. And I will continue to pester you until those books are out. So keep writing, Dale. Hurry the fuck up. Yeah. 
Well, I got to watch one of my writings. I'll, I'll tell you offline what happened, but uh, yeah. Um, but it's coming. They'll, they'll all come out eventually. And uh, if I can just find it, carve out, squeeze more hours into a day. I don't know if I can get more than 24 hours in a day, but I definitely need more than 24 hours. Because um, I'm done. I mean, I sleep maybe five hours a night, you know, six hours max. And, uh, you know, I'm constantly working, working, working. But uh, it was easy. Anybody could do it, right? So I'm not... I'm not taking the easy route. I'm going to take the hard, painful right okay. route, but I'm going to reap the rewards at the end. So stand okay. by. More to follow. All right. We'll wrap this one up, and uh, I'll text you when it's up. All right, brother. All right, Be good, man. Take, take care, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Recording stopped. Yep, bye-bye.